0: Good evening and welcome to Chicago Tonight. I'm Phil Ponce. Brandis Friedman and Parrish Hunt's had the evening off. Here's what we're looking at. Dramatic findings in the latest report on police traffic stops in Chicago. And with policing at the top of the mayoral campaign, we take that up.
1: Yeah, it's a good place to raise a family.
0: And all affordable condo building is on the rise in a former industrial area near Goose Island. We take a look inside THE SANG. Promontory Point IS ITS WAY toward CHICAGO LANDMARK STATUS, THAT AND OTHER HEADLINES FROM THIS WEEK IN NATURE, PLUS A SNEAK PEEK AT THE SOUTH SIDE IRISH PARADE. AND NOW TO SOME OF TODAY'S TOP STORIES. THE CITY OF CHICAGO ANNOUNCES A $23.8 MILLION DOLLAR SETTLEMENT WITH E-CIGARETTE MANUFACTURER JEWEL LABS. THE SETTLEMENT COMES AFTER THE CITY CLAIMED THE COMPANY ENGAGED IN QUOTE harmful and deceptive business practices by marketing and selling vaping products to underage users." National Jewel is facing thousands of lawsuits alleging it engaged in deceptive marketing and minimized the health risks of its products. A $14 million boost for trauma-informed care and mental health services for Chicago public schools and others across the state. Senator Dick Durbin joined CPS CEO Pedro Martinez at King High School on the south side to announce the new federal funding. In his remarks, Durbin talked about the loss of Chicago police officer Andres Mauricio Vasquez Lasso and the trauma of children in a nearby park who witnessed his shooting last week.
2: We mourn the loss of uh, Officer Vasquez Lasso, but we also mourn the loss of innocence of these children who witnessed it. We need to help them. This money, I hope, can do that.
0: The money will go to CPS and the Illinois State Board of Education, and it comes from the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act word today that the wife of a Chicago firefighter has died from injuries she sustained in a Montclair house fire on Tuesday. 36 year old summer day stewart died Thursday evening one day after her seven year old son Ezra succumbed to his injuries. This morning Chicago fire department officials were passing out smoke detectors and fire prevention materials near where the fire broke out on the 2500 block of north Rutherford Avenue. Day Stewart was the wife of firefighter EMT Walter Stewart who rushed to the scene after a call came in over the fire department's intercom and he recognized the fire was at his home. The couple's two other young children are reported to be in quote extremely critical condition. According to multiple reports, the Chicago Bears have traded the first pick in the 2023 NFL draft to the Carolina Panthers. In return, ESPN reports the Panthers will hand over the number nine pick in the first round and their second round pick slated for number 61 in next month's draft. Also coming the Bears' way, a first round pick in 2024 and a second round pick in 2025. Bears fans have been desperate for reinforcements around quarterback Justin Fields, who had a breakout year despite the team's losing season. So the Bears will also get Panthers wide receiver D.J. Moore, who had seven touchdowns and averaged just over 14 yards a catch in 2022. Coming up in the program, racial disparities in Chicago traffic stops right after this. Chicago Tonight is made possible in part by Alexandra and John Nichols, the Jim and Kay Maybe family, the Polk Brothers Foundation,
1: and the support of these donors.
0: The Chicago mayoral election has put a spotlight on public safety and police community relations. A new report on traffic stops offers fresh insights into policing in Chicago and some inequities that may persist. Among the findings, the average black driver is six times more likely to be stopped here than the average white driver. Joining us now with more are Lauren Jones. She's staff attorney at Business and Professional People for the Public Interest, or BPI and she's a member of the Free to Move Coalition. And Jose Manuel Almanza, Jr., he's director of advocacy and movement building at Equiticity and coordinator for the Free to Move Coalition. That coalition works to create a more racially equitable traffic safety system in the city. By the way, we also invited the Chicago Police Department, which declined, but they did send a statement, which we will get to later. And uh, let me, first of all, thank you for being here. Uh, Lauren Jones, what are the main takeaways from this study?
3: well thank you for having us um, the main things that we took away from the study first of all is that the Chicago Police Department has been making an alarming number of traffic stops in the past couple of years? So, for instance, in 2015 they made about 86,000 stops, and by 2019 that number was at 600,000. And while it's dropped a little bit since the COVID-19 pandemic started, it's back on the rise again in 2021 with around 370,000 stops. And
0: we have a graph, by the way. I think uh, if we have a chance, we'll I'll put it up here so we can uh, you can
4: speak more directly to the increase.
0: But uh, uh, Jose almanza so why do you? think the increase is is happening
4: yeah the the increase is happening because the police department has shifted strategies so uh, before 2015 as you see in the spike uh, they were doing stop and frisk so they were stopping and frisking uh, people walking on the street people just out uh, being pedestrians uh, and then after the consent decree uh, that the Supreme Court fo- found that uh, stop and frisk was unconstitutional they had a shift strategy so now they shifted to stopping vehicles uh, after that, and Lauren Jones, uh, aside from the
0: spikes in uh, the number of stops uh, that we've that you've discovered uh, in the study, what else does the study tell you about racial inequities?
3: Yeah, so we worked with the University of Chicago Data Science Institute to, to take a really really close look at the inequities that we are seeing across Chicago, and one was mentioned that black drivers are more likely to be stopped six times more likely to be stopped than white drivers Latin drivers are more likely to t- twice as likely to be stopped than white drivers, but we also see geographic disparities. So 20% of traffic stops happen in just two police districts, the 7th and the 11th, which are on the west and the south sides of Chicago, um, the Garfield Park area and the Inglewood area, which only contain 5% of the, of the city's population and are majority black. And we see in white neighborhoods that black and Latin drivers are more likely to be stopped as well in over 73% of police districts.
0: And, Jose, you personally have had experiences along those lines. What have your experiences been? What's happened?
4: Yeah, I mean, I've been getting pulled over by police throughout my life as a teenager getting my license uh, through my early 20s. And, uh, I, you know, I figured once I get older, you know, these types of uh, situations will stop. Um, but they haven't. You know, I've been pulled over just a few times uh, in this, this year so far. And each time, you know... I get a physiological response to it, I get nervous, I get sweaty, my heart starts racing, I start stuttering, and then I ask myself, am I, am I looking suspicious? And this is, this is conversations that I hear from folks all over the uh, west side and south side of Chicago of uh, people having similar reactions. And Lauren Jones, have you been stopped as well?
3: I have been stopped. I was stopped a couple months ago just leaving my job and, and that stop really echoed some of the data that we see. I was pulled over and asked a question about where I was going and then she told me that I had an expired registration tag, which is a huge part of the, the, the kinds of stops that we're seeing. Did you? And then I, I, I did, but it had just expired um, and so I, I got that fixed. Uh, but I wasn't cited, which also is uh, mirrored in the data, less than 5% of stops result in any kind of citation.
0: What do you say to people who might be watching this segment and say, okay, my, uh, say my, my, my registration tag is expired, it's clear from the license plate, officer pulls me over, um, they give me a citation, they don't, no harm, no foul. And if people just go along with what the police are saying, then the incident uh, goes away in a, in a sense.
3: I think Jose's example really paints a picture of how these stops affect people differently, um, that physiological response and the fear that you get, um, as well as just wanting to get from point A to point B without real interference in your life is, is really a, a bigger impact on black and Latina communities. And we're seeing that the, these impacts don't, um, the impacts from stops include things like arrest and citation that are disproportionately harming black and Latinate people
0: well, as I mentioned, we did receive a statement from the Chicago Police Department. And uh, here is what they said, they said in part, officers only conduct traffic stops when they have probable cause or reasonable articulable suspicion that a crime has been committed, is being committed or is about to be committed. These stops are not conducted based on race, additionally as part of our ongoing reform and consent decree compliance efforts, CPD mandates implicit bias training for all Chicago police officers. Uh, Jose, your reaction to that statement?
4: Uh, that doesn't add up to uh, my personal experience and also the experience of many community members that I've spoken to. Um, oftentimes it seems that uh, police are fishing for something. where well, we get pulled over for a broken light, for example, or having an unlit license plate. Um, and then they're asking for, if we have a gun, they're asking... Um, who, is it? who else is in the car? They're asking for names. They're asking for other things that have nothing to do with the taillight broken or with the other, uh, with the unlit uh, license plate. And uh, Lauren, your reaction to that statement? Yeah,
3: I'll definitely piggyback off of what Jose said. Um, they suggest that they're making these stops because they have some sort of suspicion that criminal activity is happening. But the stops that we looked at for this report are based entirely on um, the stops that they're making because they saw a traffic violation and then decided to... Uh, continue to investigate for signs of criminal activity where there are very, very rarely any signs and this, this needle in a haystack approach is, is leading to immense harm in, in communities around Chicago.
0: Jose, as you know in the current mayoral race there has been a lot of attention put on the relationship between law enforcement and uh, people in the community. Uh, how does this study
4: sort of inform some of the things that maybe should be on the table? Yeah, I think uh, our, our leaders need to be looking at what the data is saying. They need to really uh, listen to what community members are saying and really use this to, to inform policy because oftentimes community members are left out. If community members were brought to the table in uh, addressing CPD policy from the beginning, we wouldn't be here right now. And real quickly, Lauren Jones, uh, reaction to this study? Have you
0: gotten any preliminary feedback from the community, from, uh, from the police department, aside from the statement we just read?
3: From the community, absolutely. People are excited that we're looking at this issue, especially folks who are concerned about public safety and policing in their community. They want data-driven solutions. They want um, they want community and public safety that makes sense for them. From CPD, we haven't had a response yet, but we hope that they'll see the data and, and respond um, in a way that makes sense for the people of Chicago.
0: Lauren Jones, Jose Almanza, thank you both for being here. Appreciate thank your you. insights. Thank, thank, you. thank you so much. You. And up next, an inside look at an all-affordable condo building near Goose Island. So... Stay with us. Very few people can say they enjoy a long commute to work, but when housing is limited or unaffordable, families often find themselves priced out of living near their jobs, and that can mean congested streets, air pollution, and a lot of frustration. But a public-private partnership is hoping to cut those commutes for some middle-income families. This month, the first of three residential buildings was finished just west of Old Town. The sayings, 34 multi-bedroom units are part of a larger development that's meant to give housing options to people in the heart of the city. Producer Erica
1: Gunderson took a tour. Yeah, it's a good place to raise a family.
2: For a new housing development in Chicago to truly become a community. A lot of pieces need to be in place.
1: There are tremendous amenities, everything from uh, a 97 walking score to uh, fantastic transportation, great schools, playground on-site to provide open half-acre of public-private park that we will maintain and and program. uh...
2: Structured Development founding principal Mike Drew says he believes it's all there for the new 34-unit condo building, the same located a few blocks southeast of North and Clyburn Avenues. And, Drew says, it's a bargain.
1: We follow the principles of of smart growth in terms of creating several different levels of income in this development.
2: The condo units are being marketed and sold in partnership with the Chicago Housing Trust, which restricts ownership to people making no more than 120% of the area median income.
1: These are sold at significantly reduced prices to market value. As an example, a three-bedroom that goes for 233,000 is um, measured against a market average of 700,000 in the neighborhood. Generally it was an industrial area for many years.
2: 27th Ward City. Alderman Walter Burnett says the Sang's multi-bedroom units can bring in the middle-income families previously priced out of the area.
0: It should always be different economics in order to have a real community because somebody got to work, somebody got to serve, somebody got to do some everything. We have a lot of public servants who can't afford million dollar homes, and we're giving them an opportunity to be able to stay in the community for which they work.
2: Emily Tallins studies housing at the University of Chicago. She says the density and diversity this development aims to create are part of the roadmap to a thriving neighborhood.
5: The more density we can get there, the better it's gonna be in the long run for supporting walkability. And that's the holy grail, walkable cities. The second holy grail is social diversity. You want to be able to have a variety of income levels accessing resources. We're in crisis proportions here with the lack of affordability in Chicago.
2: Talon says she sees one immediate challenge for the area a traffic sewer, some of those roads. That's why long-term Talon says she would look for increased sidewalk activity as a marker for success. That brings safety because
5: eyes on the street, you know, more people out and about. If there were thriving public spaces where people are bringing their kids to play, you know, if we
2: see that kind of activity going on around there, that would be a great thing. Talon says she would also look for more small businesses to move in, businesses like Sully's House, a sports bar less than a block away from the Sang. Owner Sharife Yousafi says she's seen a lot of change come to the area since they moved in in 2006. It was all
5: basically factories and that was it. It
2: Yousafi agrees that more small businesses will be needed to fill out the community.
5: With that many people, you're going to need services, coffee shops, little restaurants, places for the kids to go. I know everyone thinks that everyone uses the subway system, but a lot of times people with young children and kids that are taking to school usually have cars.
2: And she sees some potential bumps in the road too, specifically schools and parking.
5: They need to figure out just where the regular CPS school will be for this neighborhood.
2: Still, both Talon and Yusufi say they have high hopes for how this new community will come together. I think it's great you have everything
5: here. I feel like the development has all the right ingredients and it will gel, it's just let's hope
2: it gels in the right direction. For Chicago tonight, this is Erica Gunderson.
0: Applications for the SANG close this week and the lottery drawing for all applicants takes place next week. And if you're wondering about the name, it comes from the SANG company, that's a furniture hardware manufacturer that once stood on the site. Rare 300-million-year-old fossils have recently been discovered in northern Illinois, well, rediscovered, that is, and Promontory Point is inching its way toward official Chicago landmark designation. WTTW News reporter Patty Wetley joins us now with more on those stories as part of her this week in nature column. Patty, good to see you. First of all, let's start with the fossil story. You say the fossils weren't discovered, but actually were rediscovered, what do you mean?
6: This is a, a well-known like, mother load of fossils in Illinois called the Maison Creek site. Um, so uh, they've assumed for almost 50 years that these particular fossils were jellyfish Uh, A team led by researchers at UIC went and re-examined them, and it turns out they're anemones, which are incredibly rare to find in the fossil record because picture and anemone, not a whole lot to fossilize there. So really significant change, and they figured this out just by flipping the fossils. And looking at them from the other direction. So
0: these fossils, they, they've 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 had these fossils. They've but, had these fossils. But they've just been a matter of in looking them differently. Yeah,
6: just turning them upside down, and it's a completely different creature.
0: Mm, well, with friends like this, who needs <laughs> an enemies, right? <laughs> <All> right. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. Anyway, if you've been following news about Promontory Point uh, and its path to an, becoming an official landmark designation, as Patty has, uh, it's been a twenty-year fight. What yes. is the latest? so we got
6: uh approval to be a chicago landmark final approval from the commission on chicago landmarks now it goes to city council it'll be introduced uh, probably at the march meeting and then if all goes as planned by april promontory point will officially have chicago landmark status which will protect the limestone revetment which is that stair step Mm -hmm. wall around it which is what people have been fighting to preserve for so long Interestingly enough, um, when the the Landmark Commission passed this, they also added protections for the landscape plan. So there's this sort of ring of trees around the site and a meadow in the middle. That will be landmarked as well, so that can't really be altered. Maybe the types of trees for climate purposes, but the basic uh, layout has to stay the same.
0: Is this unusual that, that, a, that a geographic uh, area has been designated landmark? Because usually you think of landmarks right. as buildings or uh, streets <laughs> or something like that.
6: There, there is precedent for this. I believe the Alfred Caldwell Lily Pool in mm. Lincoln Park might also be a landmark, some of them on the Register of Historic Places, um, um, but it's not, like, super common.
0: Interesting. Yes. Patty, thank you so much. Thanks, Phil. And you can read Patty's This Week in Nature column on our website, com slash news. And up next, the tales into one of the city's biggest celebrations for St. Patrick's Day happening this weekend. But first, a look at the weather. <music> the city's official St. Patrick's Day river Dying and parade is tomorrow, but to some... The really big day is Sunday. It is said that the Southside Irish St. Patrick's Day Parade started with about a dozen children marching around West Morgan Park with shamrocks and Irish flags. Now organizers say it is the largest community-based St. Patrick's Day Parade outside of Dublin. Joining us to talk about the parade's history and the details of Sunday's event is Marianne Rowan Leslie She is chairperson of the Southside Irish St. Patrick's Day Parade Welcome to Chicago tonight. Is this true about the Dublin business that this is the largest community-based parade?
5: It is we are the largest community-based parade outside of Ireland I was told not just Dublin but the entirety of Ireland.
0: Okay, so this started in 1979 and uh, I, I'm told that the people who started it back in 1917 had no idea that it would evolve into what it is today what was it like right at the beginning
5: well I wasn't there right at the beginning <laughs> but I do remember walking home from a high school job one of the years after it and it was only down half of Western Avenue with crossing guards as security and the other, the other lane of Western Avenue was trucks flying by. So it's, it's come a long way. It's so long uh,
0: way. at this point, how would you see uh, attendance at it pre-COVID? Uh, do you have an idea of what it might have been pre-COVID?
5: Yes, it was between 150 to 200,000 people on both sides of Western Avenue.
0: And this will be the second year uh, that it's come back after COVID. How big of a turnout are you expecting this time around?
5: I think, well, because of the weather, I do see that it's going to be a little chilly. We are still expecting at least 150,000.
0: And uh, at, at some point, I, I mean, it really has grown into, uh, how does it compare with the city's downtown St. Patrick's Day Parade in terms of uh, turnout?
5: Well, they are two different animals. Downtown, you get a more um, cosmopolitan or, or kind of more of a, um, you know, from all over the place you get downtown so I believe their attendance is up to a million Mm. where we are more community based we attract a lot of people from the neighborhoods and the suburban areas around so we're you know a little bit smaller.
0: A little bit smaller yet in 2009 you became victims of your own success so to speak and it was canceled because what it got too big and too rowdy? It
5: did, it got a little out of hand but you know um, since then we've hired security, we've hired a US, former U.S. Marshal to head up our security force and uh, we've focused back on the community of the event.
0: So now that it's more community focused or gotten back to its roots, what can people expect to go to see it?
5: Wow, we have over a hundred entries, we've probably more than a thousand participants, Um, We have about 20 to 23 bands going to be in the parade as well, and it's going to be a really community, family focused event.
0: It's been going on now, as I mentioned, since 1979. What What does it come to mean to the community?
5: Well, it's become the de facto family reunion. Where people from all over the United States get their families to come back and visit, and it's really a nice time to see people break out of your winter doldrums and you get back into it. You know, it's it's the official opening of spring on the south side of Chicago.
0: I've been to it a couple of times, and I always worried about the logistics, the parking, how I'm going to watch it, and so forth. Uh, what do you say to people who haven't been there before? Might might think, oh, it sounds like a it sounds like a big hassle to go to.
5: It's always helpful if you have somebody that lives there and you can help park in their driveway
0: <laughs> yes. um,
5: dibs is in effect so you know get so there heads early, up. get there early and then um, yeah they shut the streets about 9 10 in the morning so it's always good to get there early
0: What's your favorite part of the parade
5: Oh my gosh it's all fun you know. It, in the morning, um, there's a mass at St. Cajetan where everybody kind of goes there first, and then you go home and you have brunch. And then that's the big thing is like the brunch before the parade, where everybody gets and ha- they start having their family parties, and that's where you see everybody. Everybody comes back and they just get to visit and be family again.
0: So if we give out your address, people can come to brunch at your house? Come
5: on down. <laughs> right. Come on down to West Bev. <laughs>
0: Mary Rowan, Leslie, thanks very much for coming. Good luck with the parade.
5: Thank you very much.
0: You bet. And that is our show for this Friday night. Don't forget to stay connected with us by signing up for our daily briefing. And you can get Chicago Tonight streamed on Facebook, YouTube, and our website, WTTW.com news. You can also get the show via podcast and the PBS video app. And join us tomorrow night at 6 for Chicago Tonight Latino Voices. Why cook county is known as the worst neighbor in the country when it comes to air pollution And then at 630 tomorrow on chicago tonight black voices the woman king snubbed from nominations We talk to folks in the industry who argue why the oscars are still quote so white Now for all of us here at chicago tonight. I'm phil Ponce. Thank you for watching. Good night Closed captioning is made possible by
1: Robert A. Clifford and Clifford Law Offices, a Chicago personal injury and wrongful death firm that's proud to serve its community through pro bono legal services.